We want to see parents be on the same team and present that united front because it increases those feelings of safety for our children. And really, it's about kind of having healthy boundaries for children. Hello, and welcome to the Parenthood Pod. I'm your host, Leonia Kidanor, and every week I will bring you conversations that aim to smash the stigma on struggles we face as parents. This segment is The Vault, where we ask you, our community, what is keeping you up at night? Your messages remain anonymous, they stay in the vault. To submit your confession, click on the link in the show notes. Welcome to the show. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the program. Oh, God, not the program. Welcome to the show. (laughs) How are you? Oh, it's early for you. You said you're in Bali. Whereabouts in Bali are you? I'm actually in the north, so quite a remote little village called Sarah, which is just outside of Levita Beach. That's a really beautiful, quiet spot. Oh, amazing. Just a bit of uh, R&R for you or...? Yeah, I'm just taking some time at the moment. Um, just had a couple of weeks off and then I'm actually going into a period of doing retreats over here. So couples oh. retreats or in the what my daughter refers to as Busy Busy Bali, the seven yak sort of area. Yeah. So down yeah. um Uluwatu overlooking the cliffs there at oh, Ayana. Amazing. So for those listening, I have Katie Sterling on the um, podcast with us today. And so as you could tell, she is a relationship therapist and also a clinical psychologist. And uh, I've brought you on today, Katie, because I thought you'd be really well versed in helping us explore this particular topic that was presented by a dad listener, actually. So for your benefit, Katie, we are the Parenthood Podcast. So we have both mums and dads who call in and often, you know, give us the things that are keeping them up at night. So I thought this was quite quite a good one and one a topic that perhaps a lot of our audience could unfortunately relate to. So let's cut to the caller's confession now. Hi, Leone. I'll keep this short and sweet. My wife keeps undermining my parenting in front of the kids. How do I tell her that it's driving me nuts? All right. So all about undermining each other in our relationships, more so on the parenting front. And I guess first and foremost, do you see a little bit of this in the work that you do? Yeah, definitely. So I actually, my background is I started out as a perinatal psychologist um, and fell in love with couples through that work, actually. Um, so I see, I do tend to see a lot of parents across the lifespan. So definitely um, parenting comes up a lot in therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And and from the, I mean, how would you describe sort of undermining each other in a relationship? You know, what does that look like from where you're sitting? Yeah, so undermining means when we reduce someone's effectiveness, power, or really their positive relationships. So it may occur when they're in the relationship context, when there's feelings of resentment, frustration, or inadequacy. But often it's sort of based on what we call a zero-sum belief about relationships. So this is the idea that in order for one partner to win, so usually yourself, um, the other partner must lose. But what we know from research is the most effective, most effective and healthy and um, fulfilling relationships create win-win scenarios. So I often say, you know, if one partner is winning, then the relationship is losing. It's really about creating those win-win situations where we both feel like our needs are met in the relationships. So when I think about your caller and what they're experiencing, I was thinking a few things that have come to mind. Firstly, he might be feeling criticised by his partner. 
Um, Secondly, he may be feeling unsupported in his own parenting decisions. And thirdly, he may be feeling that he and his partner are not on the same team. So that instead of being able to provide that united front in uh, in front of their children, that those those parenting decisions are sort of being questioned. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, I've got a two and four-year-old, right? We're in the throes of just like the chaotic madness that is parenthood. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And often you're you're tired, you're sleep-deprived, you're just trying to get dinner ready, you've you've just finished work, the kid's screaming, the other one's hanging off a, you know, a banister somewhere, you know, you know, let's call it, my husband walks through the door and says something and I'm like, you've just rocked up, mate. Like you can't be saying yes or have the lolly or have the... And then all of a sudden I can see how this happens. I mean, I'm not perfect and certainly, you know, I could see myself do the death stare to my husband. They can't have lollies now. We're trying to get dinner ready, blah, blah, blah. And I can see how others, I mean, I try as much as possible to to sort of present a united front as much as we can but um, for for the kiddos. But um. But I can see how others, you know, with enough pressure, you just go, sorry, mate, they're not having lollies. Just leave it alone. You've just gotten home. You know, like really, I guess what I'm trying to do is bring to life these situations where it's the snapping and it's the bickering. And it's not because you don't love your partner, but you're just surviving. You're just trying to get to the next step in that evening. So I guess, you know, being... Being aware of that and the chaotic environment that we live in, what would be first words of, I guess, guidance around when you could potentially feel yourself going to snap at your partner in front of your children? We can use that as an example of undermining. What could we be thinking before we start blurting things out? Look, I think this is really common. I think it's also really important to start with the fact that we are all human and we will all have those moments. And, yes, of course, we aspire to do certain things in parenting, but we are humans and we are tired and parenting is exhausting and we're depleted. Um, so it's very normal to get caught in that reactivity. So I think, you know, when I, when I was listening to you speak, what I'm really thinking about is this idea of what we call flooding. So when we become emotionally overwhelmed, we talk a lot about it in the couple context. So when we become emotionally triggered, we get flooded with emotion. Um, and in parenting, it's very similar. So it's sort of when that fight, flight, freeze mode gets initiated. And I think the reason why we see it in parenting so much is a little bit different. So I think we tend to see it a lot because obviously there is um, a lot of emotion in parenting. We all want to be good parents. Um, it can trigger off our own experiences of being parented. And also, you know, parenting is really, there's so much natural instincts in terms of like protecting our children. But also a really big important part is that we're just tired. <laughs> we're depleted. Yeah. We haven't had enough self-care time. So what can happen is that in those moments, we are being reactive. So we're, we're essentially in that fight, flight, freeze mode, which means we've gone into a state of physiological arousal. Um, And then we are communicating from that reactive place, which is where we tend to say the more hurtful things or behave in ways that we aren't particularly proud of. Um, So really it's so important in those moments just to be able to recognise that that's what's happening in our body and if we can take a break or, you know, sometimes with parenting that is just a silent break because we can't remove ourselves from the children. Mm, yes, absolutely. And look, not wanting to stereotype and generalize, but I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it, that the dads brought up this this issue. And um, you know, there are all different family dynamics, and certainly there are yeah. men who stay at home and and females who go and work, and there are same sex couples and all of that. But I guess uh, 
generally, at least from what I've heard in, in all the podcast episodes I've done and with friends and things like that too, um, on average, uh, the the man is kind of, you know, is tapping in and out with work and the female feels like she's bearing a little bit more of the brunt of the family load. So I think that's where we perhaps get this a dynamic such as this one or such as even myself, right? We're, we're all human, as you said, where yeah. uh, it's like, no, I've got the home front. So you can't just come swagger on in and, you know, tell, you know, have your little opinion and then you get to wander off and then I have to deal with the, you know, with what's with the consequences, <laughs> right? Like, so it is a real thing. And I guess if we're looking at it from his perspective or perhaps, you know, the other partner's perspective, regardless of dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, and um, family structure, um, you know, what are things, if you're noticing your partner is having a little bit of a go and you're sick of it, i.e. with this caller, how, where do you start with communicating that with your partner? Yes, I think it's really important that we don't communicate when we're in that state. So it's probably the first thing is that we really need to avoid communication um, in that moment. I shouldn't shouldn't use the word avoid because we don't want to avoid it, but we want to recognise that we need to take a break because we can't communicate when we're in that state of physiological arousal. So really important to time those conversations. If we are going to have those difficult conversations, let's take a break first and then come back when we're in a more neutral state of mind. Um, But I think it's really important that we actually do have that communication because when we don't, what happens is we really sit in our own perspectives and that's what I'm hearing a little bit of the struggle that you're describing is quite often the person who is staying at home feels like you don't get the experience I'm having day to day. And similarly, the person who walks through the door feels the same way, interestingly. They sort of feel like, well, you don't understand what it's like to kind of come from a busy work schedule Walk inside, be so happy to meet you and be met with this. So it's really about understanding each other's perspective, um, which can be hard in parenting because we can be time limited as well in those conversations. So really it's trying to slow those conversations down and being able to understand firstly what's happening for the other person and what their experience is. So being able to raise that in a you know, gentle, soft way and have those conversations when we're not flooded and really come to a place where we're trying to understand each other's perspective a little bit more, recognising we're having two completely different experiences in parenting in this moment. Mm, Absolutely. And I guess the one thing that I try to be as aware of as possible is also, okay, what dynamic am I setting uh, you know, and what example am I setting uh, for yeah. our children? And obviously we all have our moments, but I guess on the whole, um, you know, that's what will prevent me from going for the jugular when I really want to, for example, because I'm like, no, hold on. That's yeah, not yeah. really what I, I want the kids yeah. to feel like we're, we're sort of a team here. Um, yeah. And so we make a conscious decision to act that way. I'm just curious, I mean, from your perspective as well, um, you know, what is the impact on our children if they're noticing, uh, you know, constant bickering and parents perhaps not being on the same team? Yeah, look, high conflict is obviously not great for kids. We don't want to see lots of lots of conflict in relationships, um, particularly when we are getting to that more flooded state and we might be sort of yelling and screaming or saying hurtful things to each other, which is why breaks are so important. But having said that, look, it is okay for kids to see some conflict. Like it is okay for kids to see us have feelings. In fact, it's healthy because they look to us to model, you know, what do I do when I'm upset or what do I do when I'm angry? So even them seeing us recognising that in ourselves and taking a break is a really healthy modelling um, lesson for them in how to how to manage their own emotions. 
Um, but also definitely we want to see parents be on the same team and present that united front because it increases those feelings of safety for our children. Um, and really it's about kind of having healthy boundaries for children. So, you know, if one parent, say, for example, we're talking about a teenage child and, and the teenager asks to go out till midnight and one parent says no and then they go to the next parent and the next parent says yes, um, then the child knows that those boundaries are, are not hard and they can kind of push those boundaries more and more. And even though on one level that teen's like, yeah, I get to go to this party with my friends, I'm super excited about that, on another level it, it, it takes away those feelings of safety because when they have those boundaries, they know that we're there, they know that we're trying to keep them safe, they know that there's reasons why we're saying it's a midnight curfew and that actually increases feelings of safety for them. So those boundaries are, are really important and us being on the same page is, is really important for our children. And if we make mistakes, which we're going to as parents, it's really about owning that and giving our, our children the opportunity to see that. So if we have a rupture in our relationship, give them the opportunity to see us make a repair, for example, or take responsibility. And I think um, what's really interesting, even with the party example, is that, you know, we are all, you know, products of our own upbringing. So, for example, on the party front for me, I had the very strict parents. And um, fortunately, my mum was a little bit more lenient, but dad was yep. certainly the, I guess, bad cop, you know, in, in talking marks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and look, fundamentally, um, they wanted me to sort of succeed from an academic perspective. So socialising wasn't high on particularly my dad's radar for me. And so I grew up like fighting to go to the parties. And, um, you know, my husband, uh, Jules, for example, he had the more laid back Aussie family, like country people, just very, you know, grounded and all of that. And so he felt he was quite, he grew up quite independently, I think quite mature, didn't really have to fight to do much, like very understanding parents. And it's interesting because obviously both of us coming from very different um, backgrounds, um, how that can filter through to the way in which we no, how that can filter through um, to the way in which we parent, and what I, I hate to say it, but I'm probably a little bit more on the the disciplinarian kind of you know a little bit stricter, I guess. And Jules has taken on again on average a little bit more that good cop role. Um, but what we do try to do is with the bigger decisions, we'll often say. Uh, you know, Jules will say, speak to your mum, and then I'll be like, speak to your dad. And if we're both like, uh, we'll be like, we'll get back to you, you know? And then we try to try to go away, get on the same page and go back. And so we do sort of try to make that conscious decision with the bigger um, decisions that we have to make, i.e., what time can I get home from the party? I mean, I'm sure that will come yeah. up in the future for our little ones. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? Because you see so many couples, right, with the work that you do. How can our upbringings, uh, you know, impact our parenting styles? And if we are on two different, if we've got different parenting styles, how can we still live in harmony, I guess, um, with that? Yeah, look, I think there's so many different ways to parent and there's definitely no right or wrong way. It's really about your values and what works for you. Um, and I think where we get stuck in couple relationships is probably really around trying to trying to um, maybe control how it's done rather than kind of taking a step back and looking at what are our values around parenting. So when we get on the same page around what our values and goals are, 
um, and we feel united in that, it's a lot easier to parent together because then we can kind of separate out the how we get there, the how we do it, the process. And we will do that differently. But so long as we're on the same page with those values, we can kind of come back to that and recognise in that moment, yeah, look, he does do it differently to me, but I know the intent behind that, that behaviour, that action is the same. And so we can move towards acceptance a little bit. Of course, in moments, you know, it can be hard to do that. But really, if we, we feel very connected around what we're trying to achieve together and we feel on the same page with that, then it's much easier to kind of accept that the way that we do that can be different. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, it does. It definitely does. And, you know, it's, I mean, I feel like the parenting journey, it's a lifetime journey, right? So if you can try yeah. and get it, you know, on the same page as, you know, and, and be aware of these things as, as soon as possible, then you're really setting yourself up for success, you know, as challenges occur, you know, throughout, throughout your life, as far as, you know, as the kids continue to grow, there'll be different things being thrown at you. So yeah, really important to sort of as much as possible, um, know where each other are coming from, which is, I think what you're alluding to here as well. Yeah, definitely. So really understanding each other's perspectives and as you said, each other's backgrounds, um, but also kind of recognising that even though we had these two different experiences, like we've come from two different family cultures, essentially, we get to create our own now. So that's where the conversations are really important around like, what did I experience growing up and what do I want to take forward and what don't I? So we're building that self-awareness in ourselves but we're also then having our partner to kind of help us in those areas. And we're also on the same page of like, this is what we want to have for our children. You know, I experienced this, you experienced this, but this is what we want together. And we're kind of creating our own family culture and our own way of being and values. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And it's funny when you said that, I was thinking we've sort of done that implicitly with some of the bigger conversations. For example, you know, would we buy out kid uh, some beer to take to a party when he's 16 yeah. or would we just you know I eat like what I had I'll just go and find the beer when I you know whatever it is yeah. and, and my parents <laughs> will think I'm not drinking it but I will be drinking it so you know and yeah. we've, I've gone okay that was the experience that I had as a child Jules had his experience where the p- parents did buy him the beer and you know here's your three cans of beer that's going to do you all night and he was fine and he didn't have that much of a stigma around alcohol as much as I did so you know it's funny as you say that like bringing to life what you're saying, you know, we've certainly had those conversations around around those sort of things and how we would like to parent our children as they grow. I want to change tact a little bit. So we're talking yeah. we're talking here about you know couples who are living in the same house in a family unit. Let's talk about co-parenting because I mean, let's be real. Fifty percent of you know relationships end up in divorce in Australia. So you know, what can that look like? What if you're dealing with feeling undermined as a parent? Um, because your ex or your ex's partner is arcing up about certain things about how, you know, how you're doing parenting, right? I mean, I guess probably a similar uh, approach in in finding a calm way to communicate. Um, but, yeah. you know, what are your thoughts around that? Look, it's definitely a lot trickier because I think the thing we have when we are together is that we do want to meet each other's needs. So it's not just about the children's needs. It's about our own co-parenting needs. And it's like, here is this person that I love. And yes, I'm having a moment. I might feel frustrated with them. But underneath that, there is that love and care and desire to actually make them happy and meet their needs. So the challenge with parenting is, is when we're separated is obviously we want to have that friendship basis because if we have that, then we can have some of that good intent. Like obviously that's not always possible, 
But if we can try and, you know, hold the kids in mind, that's our, that's our commonality is that we do both want the same thing. So still the same thing. We still want the same values. Hopefully we still have the same goals for our children, trying to focus in on that. And if we can, trying to build some kind of healthy, you know, co-parenting friendship basis where there is goodwill in our relationship as well so that we can trust each other when we hear, you know, because children, I'm sure you've experienced it in your house where um, your four-year-old comes to you and says, oh, daddy gave me an ice cream and a Coke for dinner. And you know that that's not happened, but that's, you know, your four-year-old's little uh, interpretation of what happened was that's, that's all I ate all day. But we kind of in that moment go, you know, I know that I trust him and that's probably his he would have been fed as well. Um, but, you know, with when we're separated, it's hard to hold that and so we can become really reactive. So that's where it's really important that, you know, if we can to kind of have that, that friendship basis where we do give each other a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, if that's not there, then at least trying to hold that in mind, trying to say, okay, I'm again going to try and address this as I would even when we were together in terms of let's have that conversation with the other adult um, and then come back to the child if we can, as opposed to kind of, you know, agreeing with the child and, and um, yeah, putting the, the other co-parent on the outer. Mm. It's so, it's I feel like so much of life and, I mean, and relationships really is kind of like, um, yeah, obviously communication is such a big part of it, but more like it's almost like how do you resolve conflict? And often, I mean, I even think about past relationships that I've had and everything was went swimmingly until you have an argument and you realise how the other person fights and then you go, all right, like you were either going to try and meet each other halfway or it's like, adios, I'll see you later. Because, you know, like so much of who you end up with, I think, is around. I mean, obviously you have to have the same values and things like that, but you also have to be able to fight in a way that you can repair, you know, and it kind of works. I mean, do you, do you see that? Like couples... You know, and then you hear about the ones that it's like, we don't fight. And it's like, how do you not fight? Like, I'm just curious, like, what your thoughts are around, you know, conflict resolution in relationships and how important yeah. it is. Oh, it's fundamental. This is why I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's fundamental. And interestingly, I don't, I see it a little bit differently in that I see that that stuff is all behavior. So it's all things that we can change. We're not stuck with it. So I think where we can get caught sometimes is thinking, well, this is who that person is. No, it's not who they are. It's how they're behaving in that moment. And in that moment, we're probably feeling hurt, possibly rejected, lonely, abandoned. So we are in a very reactive state and we're not putting our best front forward. It's all reactivity. So those skills are really fundamental to a relationship and I think, you know, that's one of the things I love about the work I do is that you can see those changes happen so quickly with just a few tools and strategies and people are communicating in a way that they never have before in their lives, you know, and feeling heard for the first time in their lives, which is really powerful. Mm, absolutely. Let's talk top three tools and strategies. So I think you've said one, which I try to do as much as I can when I can, when I can, which is I'm feeling my blood boil and I'm going to just walk away and not try to be the winner in this argument. Now that is a practice for me, but certainly tick, that's a massive tool that I try to use. Are there any other tools that kind of come to mind? 
Yeah, definitely. So with that first one, um, when you're taking a break, it's also really important how you do it. So it's really important that we don't just walk away, that we actually call it a break. So our partner knows what it is and that they know that it's about us recognising I can't hear you right now because I'm flooded and I'm in that state of physiological arousal, which means this front part of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, is actually in a reactive state and isn't able to process information in the same way. So there's no point in communicating. So we want them to know that's the reason why. We're not, we're not saying that what they're saying is not important, but we need to take a break. We need to take at least 20 minutes because it actually takes that amount of time to get out of that state of physiological arousal. We need to, when we're having a break, not think about the argument, which can be really tricky for people <laughs> because, one, you stay flooded and, two, you come back ready to argue, not coming back ready to listen to our partner's perspective. We want to make sure we're letting our partner know where we're going so we're not just, like, walking out of the house. We're telling them where we're going when we're coming back so they're not left feeling abandoned. And then, of course, we want to come back. So we want to not avoid the argument, which is what you were referring to before, is that some couples don't have conflict because they're not communicating, so they're avoiding, which is not good because resentment can build in the relationship. So that's taking a break. Probably another strategy I think that's really important in all relationships and also particularly important in co-parenting is this idea of keeping our relationship in positive sentiment. So John Gottman, who is um, an experienced uh, relationship therapist and um, researcher, talks about this idea of filling our emotional bank account in our relationships. So we fill the bank account by doing all those little things like giving our partner a compliment, listening to our partner, supporting our partner, giving them a hug. And then we make withdrawals, say, when we have conflict or there's misunderstandings. So really important that we are able to keep our bank account in that positive. So we're making lots of positive deposits because we definitely will have to make withdrawals and particularly so in parenting. So really important that we can make sure that we are doing those things, which can be extra challenging in parenting to find the time and the emotional resources to do that, but to give our partner those positive things so that in those moments when something happens that we don't particularly like, for example, we draw on that positive sentiment and we're able to give our partner the benefit of the doubt. Does that make sense? It does. That's so good, and that one. Third thing I'd say is watching out for those four horsemen, which are criticism, contempt, stonewalling and defensiveness. So, you know, when we communicate with any of those um, in the relationship, it gets in the way of our um, partner hearing our needs and being able to meet those needs in the relationship context. So um, if you want, I won't go into all of them because we probably don't have enough time, but there is some information on our website about the four horsemen and each of the antidotes. So that, so what you want to do instead of using the four horsemen in your relationship. Mm, I love that. You're such a wealth of expertise. Um, and as I said, look, I think that that's great. I, I hopefully we've been helpful for that caller who called in and sort of just, you know, um, providing them with some options as to how to perhaps tackle the situation that they're in. To that person as well, you're certainly not alone. I think all of us at some point have felt like we've, you know, been in the undermining position or vice versa. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that to the table. Um, what I'd love to know, Katie, from you is how can people find out more about you and your work? And actually, I'll just add in there, um, 
I think what's fantastic is, yes, you've got these tools from a discussion like this, but if you do need further support, seek it, get a Katie, get a, you know, get someone who perhaps can, a third party who could perhaps support you in your relationship or even one-on-one so you can better understand sort of, you know, how to, how to make your relationship blossom, I guess, over time. So yes, with that, Katie, please tell us a little bit more about your work. Absolutely. I'd say don't wait because I see, you know, sometimes couples 20 years down the track and it's much harder to do the work. So it's better to get in early. Um, So I actually work mainly in a a very intensive format now um, known as marathon therapy, where I spend either three days with a couple one-on-one or um, I've got a, a, what we call immersion retreat, which is really kind of a, I think we all need this after COVID, a bit of a, a refresh, a bit of a rejuvenation, a bit of a, let's just disconnect, relax, um, recharge, and then let's reconnect through some interactive exercises. And at the same time, couples learn all the skills and tools they need to transform their relationship through daily masterclasses. So we're doing that here in Bali over five days at the moment. Um, but if that's not feasible for you, which it won't obviously be for most people, <laughs> particularly um, with some of the challenges around, you know, finding time for things, uh, another option is we have um, masterclasses and there's a really good one which I think is um, specific to what we've been talking about today, which is around shift communication, which talks about those four horsemen, um, perspective taking and uh, really trying to yeah manage that physiological arousal in relationships. So how do we de-escalate conflict? Uh, people can find me on my website, which is drkatiesterling.com or on social media at drkatiesterling on Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. I'll pop those details in the episode notes. Thank you again, Katie, for your time. Thank you very much, Leonie. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram at Parenthood Pod and join our Facebook group. Until next time. Thanks for listening. The Parenthood Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on the land of the Wurundjeri people. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging.